good morning, you know, it's usually how we start these things, but uh, man, it's exciting to see everybody here. Uh, I don't know about you, but it's been a long time coming, and uh, I am just thrilled that we can be together again and be in the Word and share, share this, this time together. Um, whether it's inside or outside on a Saturday or Sunday, you know, um, there's something special when the body of believers can come together and we can meet as a family and just celebrate who God is and what he's doing in our lives. We can pick up the sacred text and we can see how relevant and real it really, uh, it really is as it touches hopefully our lives today and, and just does a work in us and through us. And so, um, did you need me to press that or is that already good? Sorry, now you got to delete it. Uh, <laughs> so you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 20, and, and we will read chapter 20 here. We continue the narrative that uh, has, has been going on, uh, which, which is, and I was afraid all this was going to happen, when get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> so uh, let's see if we can find Genesis chapter 20, and we'll read together. Uh, just follow along as I read, actually. So from there, Abraham journey toward the territory of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he sojourned in Gera and Abraham said to his Sarah his wife she is my sister and Abimelech uh, the king of Gerar sent and took Sarah but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him behold you are a dead man because the woman whom you have taken for she is a man's wife. And Abimelech had not approached her. And so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did not, or he, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. And in the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart and it was I who kept you from sinning against me therefore I did not let you touch her and then uh, now then return the man's wife for she is a prophet um, I'm sorry for he is a prophet and so that he will pray for you and you shall live but if you do not return her know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. I'm going to stop there as I think about the first seven verses. Uh, does this sound somewhat familiar? Have we, have we been down this road before in Genesis? Yeah, right? In Genesis chapter 12, didn't Abraham down to Egypt say the same thing? Or we still see a similar story where, you know, he says, it's my sister, afraid of his own life. And, and we saw that um, certain events unfolded. And here we are again with Abraham now in the Philistine territory. This is it's a different location than Egypt, but um, a very similar story. Now, we just got off the, the narrative of Lot, right? Remember Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah? And, and that was quite a detour from Abraham. We start in Genesis 12 with Abraham. We hear the Abrahamic covenant. We know God's got a plan for Abraham. We get a detour. We talk about Lot for a little while. Now we're getting back to Abraham. And if you, if you, if you look on the surface, you can say, okay, it's just a shift in the narrative. But as you look closer, there is an incredible contrast between the, the story of Lot going into Sodom and Gomorrah, and then you see Abraham dealing with the, the Philistines 
And actually, when we get to the end of chapter 21, it's interesting that, that we find that he's still in that region. He doesn't just simply pass through there. He seems to stay there. And uh, um, so, so what I want to point out is just a couple of, of highlights here from the two, two stories, contrasting them together. Um, what, was, what did Lot do? And I'm going to just ask you to engage a little bit since we haven't been together in a while. <laughs> what did Lot do as we think about this story? With the uh, city of Sodom and Gomorrah. What, what is, as we first begin to think, his, his movement towards that city, what are some thoughts? Just brainstorm out loud. Just, just nobody needs to raise their hand. Just, just share what your thoughts are there. I'm going to review a little and then we're going to see how this fits with the next one. He moved in, got too close. Good. What's that, Ray? Ask God to spare it, okay? Judgment two was coming, like we heard of a judgment even here, okay? Um, he he kind of trusted that city, right? Found himself in the gates, being being a kind of a position of leadership. Um, so what we find, I think, is a contrast is that um, as as Lot moved close to that city, trusted that city, dwelt in that city, became a vital part of that city, and saw the ruin of his family. Abraham is on the other hand. Is, is extremely the opposite. He hesitates to even trust the leadership there. He, may, he makes a quick judgment and says, um, I doubt them, and so I'm going to assume that if I say that she is my wife, that I'm gonna lose my own life, kind of like in Egypt. I think there's a similarity there. Um, but in the end, the city isn't judged, but what happens to the city? We just, we just saw here that it's gonna be, it's gonna be pronounced with, with a, the, the blessing, you know, from Abraham sparing them. And so there's just an interesting contrast. So I don't think the narratives are a radical shift. I think if we study it out, we can see some interesting correlations between between the two stories. So I ask you, um, have you ever made a bad first impression? You know what? You know, um, what, do they, what do they say? You know, it's hard to recover from. You never get a second chance to make a first impression. Um, I think also, too, you, you think about maybe people that made and took the wrong impression of us or you, you know. Um, they, they made some judgments, um, maybe based upon a superficial thing, didn't really get to know you, and they just made some assumptions. And I think that's kind of what Abraham is doing here is he is making some assumptions as he is dealing with, with this, this, this king. And so if you didn't know any of, anything about these two characters, Abimelech and Abraham, um, and you start seeing this story unfold, immediately you're going to think Abraham's not the good guy, he's the bad guy, right? He's the one lying and deceiving and kind of giving this bad first impression. You see Abimelech, on the other hand, he is quite the opposite. He is, he is, he is the man that said, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, and yet I feel like I'm going to be judged. I didn't know that this guy was, I was taking this man for his, at his word. And so if you just read the story without knowing any of the history or background, you think the Philistine was, was the godly or the righteous one, and the, and the the righteous one, Abraham, was, was not acting so righteous. And so I, I thought there was some interesting points that were worth noting there. And so um, we'll take a closer look at this. And, and I just I, I want to make some applications right, right along the narrative here. Believers aren't always going to be perfect, right? I mean, we can, we can speak personally to that. Um, but we, we also see that throughout Scripture, even though Abraham was, was, a, was a righteous man, um, even though David was a righteous man, you know, we, we read this morning, right, about David and Bathsheba, you know, in our men's study, that, that he, he, he was a man after God's own heart, but he was far from perfect. 
you know there there's Peter denying Christ you know three times there there there's the Thomases you know we we will str struggle we will doubt we will have reservations we are we are born again when we, we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior but the old nature still remains okay and so there is going to be this challenge and I don't think it was much different with Abraham he, he was operating in the flesh he was thinking hey carnally this is going to be what's happening I am not necessarily he didn't necessarily trust God with his marriage you think about what was what was at stake here right Abraham was was worried about not only losing his wife but what what promise had God given him a child right and eight, I think it was uh, I don't have the cross reference here but I think it was chapter 18 and believers will 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 sin believers will suffer the consequences for their sin and I, I think that is I think the consequences to our sin and this is without getting to it to a deep study on this I think it is related to the sin the consequences related to the sin so if you're if you're sinning as a parent and you're not using biblical principles in parenting where is the consequence going to be it's going to be in the product of your children okay if you sin financially I know that there will be probably secondary and tertiary effects of your poor financial decisions but the sin in, in a financial area about being disobedient or maybe not being a good steward of what God's blessing you with is going to show up in the area of finances okay so so it's going to correlate so the the Abraham is is I think going to suffer some consequences for his actions and if you if you track for, with me for a moment what, what I think the first thing that we notice is the fact that he is going to it's it's going to cost him his reputation a little bit right it's going to cost him his character yes believers will sin believers will suffer from the sin if we're going to narrow this down what is he suffering from I think he's going to suffer the consequence of not being a man that can be trusted you know what trust is it's like um, we can either make deposits or withdrawals when it comes to trust right if, if, if we betray somebody's trust, it's like, it's like a withdrawal has been made and, and people are going to be hesitant to trust us. Or if we earn trust, we are in, in essence building trust, depositing trust in that relationship. Philip Brooks said this, he says, the purpose of life is the building of character through truth. Let me say that again. The purpose of life is to build character through truth. So the biblical truth now, I don't often crush, quote Rush Limbaugh, but just help, help me for a moment here. Follow me. He says, truth is the mental floss, or he, he, against, oh, I, 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 I've ruined it. I thought it was truth against, truth is the mental floss against truth decay, but um, that's not quite it, so edit that too as well. Um, but the fact of the matter is this truth is, is, is vital. The biblical truth from which we, we guide and govern our lives is essential um, to to character formation it doesn't happen in a vacuum it's not relative to what maybe the world is thinking or feeling like what truth is is biblical truth and so that character loss is is, is a tough one for for Abraham I think it's also it, it also is a loss of his testimony you know he could he, he could have a hard time talking about God as a result to Abimelech because he has now not been a man that he could trust he's a man that with with flawed character it's hard to earn that back and I think these are areas that we can relate he lost maybe his ministry I mean there there are the Abrahamic promises Abraham would be a blessing to other nations but only when his life was in line with scriptural truth and when he deviated from truth the blessings to others wouldn't flow it's the same in our lives when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit 
fruit is meant for others' benefit. So if we aren't producing the fruit, it, we don't live in a bubble. It is going to have a, a consequence in the people that we're closest to. And so Abraham would see that as well. And he almost lost, and I started to say this earlier, he almost lost Sarah, but he also almost lost the son of his promise, right? Isaac. Isaac hasn't been born yet, but it is, it is a son that was promised. And so we also see that can, believers can be restored and be used of God again. And so um, let's see how this unfolds in verses 8 to 13. It says, Abraham, uh, excuse me, and Abimelech rose early in the morning. He called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid, and Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you, that you have brought me and my kingdom to a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see? Um, what did you see that you did this thing? And Abraham said, I... Um, I did it because I thought there was no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, daughter of my father through, or though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness that you must do to me, that at every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. And Abimelech took the sheep and oxen and male servants, female servants, gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I give your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of, of, of your innocent in my eyes, of all of eyes of all who are with you, before everyone you are vindicated. And Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and the female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord caused, for the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah. Abraham's wife and so the story ends well but it, 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 it's an unfortunate reality that that, the, that, that that there was there was damage done in the deception there's there's a loss of trust there's a, a loss in that relationship and so just just a practical point re, remember that sin will have consequences that we need to realize it, it we don't live in an isolation the sins that we commit or the or this we call the sins of offense or um, of sins of omission. There's also the sins of commission where we should be obedient, actively doing things, and because of our rebellious heart, we don't do them. And so realize that they, those will have an impact. We can see that in chapter 20 with Abraham and uh, Abimelech. The story continues. We, we don't just stop in, in, in Genesis 20, but we, we, we're moving to 21 here. Again, there are quite a few verses, so I want to make sure that we keep moving in the text. If, if, if chapter 20 was the, the loss of, or I should say the, the, the failure of um, first impressions, I think this is more like 
self-perception. You know, if one is the view or how maybe we view each other, okay, this probably chapter is dealing with the internal view of self. Who are we in God? Who are we in Christ? What are we capable of? It's, it's more, if one is, is, is outward in perspective, this is more inward in perspective. And so th these, cha these chapters are interesting as, they, as there's an interesting relationship that shows up between the two. So in chapter 21, let's, let's see where this story takes us here. And in, in, in verse 1, it said, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. I love the, the phrasing here. God will do what he says. Sarah conceived and bore Abram, Abraham excuse me, a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, Sarah, uh, born to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac. And when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him, and Abram Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said, Abraham, or said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I bore him a son in his old age. So as I think about this, um, several things come to mind, and I want to maybe compare characters as we as we work through this particular chapter. Um, as we think about Abraham and Sarah, an interesting relationship that, that we discover here. We we find faith and we find promise. So, so we look at Abraham and Sarah. I want you to think about faith and promises. Does not God keep His promises? Is 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 He faithful? with his promises to us. And so if there's ever a promise in scripture that is, it is meant for us to take, take it. You know, um, rather than pray about promises, how about claim the promises? And, and find, you know, we, we pray for peace, right, sometimes? And um, how about claiming peace? Perse perfect peace have I given you, right? He's already promised us peace. There's so many times that I hear People pray, and, and my, my, I don't want to be critical, maybe my analytical mind <clears throat> thinks, well, hasn't he already promised that? Why are we asking for that? That's something we can just claim. You know, it is not something we need to ask for. And so this is, this is, this is the hope that we have, that, that as God promises, he will, in his faithfulness, remain true to those promises. So God keeps his promises. Is God ever late? <laughs> God's never late when it comes to his promises either. His promises are with perfect timing here. And I thought this was interesting because everyone else, the world perspective would be that God is late. God isn't late. God's perfect timing. And when, when things happen, um, according to God's time and God's plan, this is where God gets the glory. We could celebrate that. God revealed his power. Something natural? For most people, yes. In this case, we find something supernatural. We find something that not only is just normal, but, ex, ex, you know, super normal. Uh, how many times in Scripture we read passages where somebody has, has conceived in an inconceivable way? You know, we, we read of Elizabeth, right? She was another one, mother of John the Baptist, who would give birth in her old age. Her womb would be open. We also see that Jesus Christ 
you know, with Mary, there is, there is an incredible birth. Without human connection, there was conception. God has a way of revealing his power as he keeps his promises. And then I think in the end, God is to be praised. And there was definitely celebration. How do we see that celebration has taken place here? Now, when Mary found out and spent time with Elizabeth, she would write a psalm, right? We would have that New Testament psalm, a psalm from Mary. She celebrates what God has done. And how did, how, did, um, how did Sarah celebrate? What was her response to hearing of the news? Yeah, she laughed. Is that the first time she laughed, though? Maybe she had a good sense of humor. I don't know. I mean, you know, Peter was a guy that always opened his mouth and get himself into trouble. Maybe, maybe Sarah just laughed too much. I, I don't know. But um, there, there's an interesting response. Even with the announcement of Isaac being born to them in, in their old age. Was that Genesis 18? I think, I think we go back a few chapters. When that conversation was had and when that promise was given. And what did Sarah do? She laughed, right? And then she denied she laughed. I didn't laugh. Oh, no, you did laugh. You know, and, uh, and, and now she's, she's, she's laughing again. By the way, what does Isaac's name mean? And I don't have my phone here to, to, to search, on, search on Blue Lever Bible, but, but Isaac's got a significant meaning to his name. Yeah, laughter. So forever that child would be a reminder of, of the amazing thing that God did. God made me laugh. God made me, and I think it's a laughter of celebration. Initially, it was like a laughter of doubt. Oh, yeah, right that's going to happen. Sure. You know, um, you know, I kind of read a little sarcasm in there when she first laughed, but here I think is truly a laughter of celebration because it wasn't just a far-fetched idea, but it was a reality that had come to pass and she was able to celebrate and, and, and she goes, and others going to celebrate with me, right? As soon as they heard that Sarah is nursing a child, Sarah, wait, wait, Sarah and Abraham, Sarah. Yeah. She's nursing a child in, in this late stage of life natural uh the supernatural things happen and so we we see that there's also an interesting contrast not or or a a comparison that brings us truth abraham and sarah brought us the faith and promises we see that isaac and ishmael will give us a, a real clear description of spirit and the flesh and if you i'm gonna have you turn there now time won't allow but in galatians chapter 4 paul develops this I would probably not have picked this up on my own, you know, if the New Testament didn't reveal or give us the permission to make this this correlation. But there is an interesting correlation between what we find in the New Testament shedding light on on the two characters of Isaac and Ishmael. And so we're going to go back to uh, the text here in chapter 21, but in verse 8 and... uh, we will continue to read. And the child grew. That is the child Isaac, right? What, you know what's fascinating? We have all this narrative about Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and all the buildup of this child being born. And then within seven verses, the story's kind of ended, right? It's like, to me, it felt a little anticlimactic. But it's really just a step in the process, a continuation of the narrative. I think Genesis is fascinating in, in many respects. But one is, is that there is... There's a narrative that's being woven through. We may talk about Lot, or we may get sidetracked a little bit with, with maybe, what is it, um, later on, um, you know, there will be other detours. I can't think of one in particular, but th- they, we always get back to the main narrative. We're always tracking 
the secondary or, or, or sidebar things carry relevant truth, but it's not the main truth. And the scripture continues to track towards the main narrative. Right now, it's the building of this nation, the nation of Israel. We're, move, we're moving towards Exodus, right? We're moving towards the, 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 the rest of the story that's revealed in the Pentateuch, the first five books of Genesis. And so, back in verse 8, it says the child grew and was weaned. Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman and her son. The son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. And so God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy, because of the boy, and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for Isaac, for though I for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. And so Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Bathsheba. Or Bathsheba. So let's think about how, how old may Isaac be at this point? How old maybe is Ishmael? I think it's kind of relevant to, to sort of see where where these rival siblings are at age-wise um what are some indications if if you remember even past passages um maybe doing biblical math you know where you could figure up figure dates and stuff how how, how old do you think these boys are at this point and again you can't be too dogmatic i don't think at least um at their ages but what do you think about isaac he's been weaned right so what are we what are we thinking here Somewhere three to five years old, right? How old was, how old was maybe Ishmael when Isaac was born? You guys remember? Fourteen? I believe he was fourteen. So we're talking about maybe a three-year-old and a seventy-year-old. Um, that was weird. That whole glass just. Sorry, I, I'm very distracted. So bear with me here. This is just my nature. So we have a. We have, we have a disparity in age between these, these two young men, rivals to, to the inheritance and the promises of Abraham. But God has made it clear. One is the, the child of promise, and one is the child of bad choices. One is the working of the Spirit of God, working of, of God himself, the plan for God. And one is the works of the flesh. And so this is where Paul brings up the, the, the contrast between the one and the other. We have... Uh, a, an interesting, an interesting comparison. So if Sarah and Abraham was the, was the faith and promise, we find that Isaac and Ishmael are, are a contrast of the, of the flesh and the spirit. And there is tension. If we were thinking about our own walk personally, we have tension between the old nature and the new nature. We struggle with our, our, our identity, who we are. I think that's correlating well here. New nature will bring joy. Let's highlight some of the details. The new nature means growth. 
The new nature means a new nature will struggle with the old and, and the new nature will, will ultimately set us free. And that is the, the, the spirit of God within us as Christians. And so we're either operating in, in the flesh and we're operating in the spirit. We are, we are, we are embodying an Ishmael or we are, are operating in what Paul describes as the spirit being Isaac. And so spirit of promise. And so uh, the child of promise. The next two comparison would be Hagar and Sarah. We see that, that also there is a description of grace and the law. The grace and the law. The, the, the law is oftentimes in the New Testament correlated with the flesh, right? The, the, they're, they're, the law had a purpose, and I think that was the purpose of sanctification of God's people. It never saved them. It was still by faith Abraham pleased God and was counted to him for righteousness. Same in the New Testament, but, but there, the... the the two characters here, I think, give us an interesting contrast between grace and the law. And so, let's see where we left off. Let's pick up in verse 15. And the one the water of the skin was gone. She put the child under one of the bushes. And then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off. And about the distance of a bow shot, he said, let me not look on the death of my child as she sat opposite of him she lifted up her voice and wept and god heard the voice of the boy and the angel of god called to hagar from heaven and said to her what troubles you hagar fear not for god has heard the voice of the boy where he is up lift up the boy hold him fast with your hand for i will make him into a great nation and God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave, drink, or gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. He grew up, and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. And he lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took, uh, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And so, again, this is kind of like one of those detours from the main narrative of Abraham. We're kind of finishing, we're going to finish that off and we're going to continue with the narrative of Abraham and the details of Abraham's life. And so the contrast of, you know, Sarah and Hagar was the grace and the law, but I also think there's, there's, there's a special promise that still remained with Hagar and the boy Ishmael, right? God promised through Abraham that the nations would be blessed or the, and, and, and that the Abra, through Abraham's seed there would be great nations and there is a connection between that promise I know ultimately filled in Isaac but we see a glimpse of it here um, as God promises that this boy not only will survive but he will grow into a great nation as well now not, not God's nation not, not the people that God has chosen but nevertheless um, there was a promise given and I think the blessing came to Hagar and Ishmael was through the important person that God has chosen through Abraham. And so continue here, read in verse 22. Um, and at that time, Abimelech, again, we're back to Abimelech, right? We detoured with Hagar, back to Abimelech. And, and Fickol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all you do. Now, therefore, swear to me and hereby God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants 
or with my pos posterity. But I will ask. Oh, but I. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you sojourned. And Abraham said, "I swear." And Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water. And this is where it kind of takes an interesting shift as well. We we see that there's some contention over over wells that Abraham was using of Abimelech's. And so Abraham's, so verse 25, Abraham reproved Abimelech about the well of water that Abimelech's servant had seized. Abimelech said, I do not know what has uh, done or who has done this thing. You do not tell me. I have not heard of it until today. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and Abimelech and the two men made a covenant. And Abraham sent seven ewe lambs of a flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of the seven ewe lambs that you have sent apart, set apart? And he said, seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that is to be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place will be called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. And they made a covenant with Beersheba, at Beersheba and Abimelech and Philcol. The commander of his army rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of Philistines. I thought it was interesting that as Abraham, uh, we, we wrap up this particular chapter, Abraham is still in the land of the Philistines. He was nomadic as much as he left Ur the Chaldees to go into the promised land. He doesn't seem to settle there right away. It will still be more time and there will still be a greater duration of time before, before he does. So as, as I think about this chapter and the previous chapter, there's, there's just a couple of takeaways that I hope that we can make. Christian, I hope that we are making and, and keeping a proper perspective and maybe understanding truth where when we, when we get to know somebody, we're patient to get to know them before passing judgment, like Abraham with Abimelech. Abimelech could have been a real ally, um, but I think trust and, and, and struggles erupted from that relationship because of, of the, the poor judgment that was passed at the beginning of that relationship. I think we need to live in the spirit, walk in the spirit, realize that it's the new nature. We've been born again given a new DNA, there's, there's a new lifestyle that we need to have. And so as we think a contrast between Abraham and Isaac, the flesh and the spirit, that we ought to see that there's an important walk um, that we ought to walk. And that is a walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, making no provision for the flesh so that we can honor God with the entirety of our lives. And if we do sin, we are going to sin. We saw Abraham um, failing here at the beginning of chapter 20, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. And it cleanses from all righteousness that even though as a Christian we may not be perfect and we will not be perfect, and hopefully there's an upward trajectory of growth, sanctification, and maturity as we are as we are walking by faith, trusting him with the entirety of our lives. And so let's uh, let's close the word of prayer as we just wrap this up and, and we'll have communion in just a moment. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the incredible stories that are in the scriptures. There's a there's a grand narrative that takes us beyond these these human characters, I think it calls us to examine our own hearts and lives. And Lord, so as we think about even grace, the fact that you sent your son to be the savior of the world, you loved us with an incredible love. And we had to walk by faith. We had to 
to live by faith and we ought to trust the promises that you give us. So thank you for the, the, the scriptures. Thank you for the truths that are, re, that are secured here for us. And we would honor you with the whole of our lives. God, we just trust you for today and the days to come and the uncertain times that we are in. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts and encourage us. We ask these things in Jesus' name.